I stand before you in the name of Jesus. And my prayer and my hope and my desire is to just exalt Him. It's not about me or what I say or how I affect you or anything like that. I want it to be all about Him. And I'll have to admit to you, I feel a little nervous. And it's because of my humanity. Two reasons. Well, maybe more than two, but I'll give you two reasons why I feel this way. One, I don't think I do it wrongly. I think I do it rightly, but I highly respect Brother Dale. And he just got done preaching. Now what am I supposed to say? That may be a bit fleshly. The other reason is, I highly respect Zion Christian Fellowship. I always have. And I know we heard your hearts the last couple of days, and I know there's some hurting hearts here. I know that you told me, and you said it well, and you said it very, I believe, respectfully, and I am blessed with that. That gives me even more confidence, or that gives me great confidence that this church is a, believe it or not, a thriving church. I believe it. I just want you to know that. I'm going to erase this off of here, not because I think it's a bad illustration. It's a good illustration. Brother Dale admitted there are some weaknesses to being able to illustrate the way he wanted to, but not because it's a bad illustration, but because maybe I will and maybe I won't. Because I want to not take away from this, but rather, I want to emphasize it. I want to emphasize Brother Dale's message. I want to emphasize it, and I know that many things could be said, but I'll emphasize it this way. It's not working too well. Let's try another marker here. That's not either. Let's go back to black. That says Jesus Christ. What do you suppose when those people met back there in the, at the early church, as they met back there, there was no New Testament. Brother Dale brought that reminder to us. There's no New Testament. There's no letters from Paul. There's no recording of Jesus' words. What do you suppose they talked about when they got together? What do you suppose the main theme 
that they were focused on. And, and there could be a lot of answers given to that. But I'm going to suggest to you that it was all centered around Jesus Christ. Primarily. You know why? Because that was their whole reason for being together. That was the whole thing they were trying to get into their hearts and minds. They wanted to focus on him and give him what he deserved. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the things I believe that they talked about. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, I want to talk about him a little bit. And I'm not going to be, begin to be able to tell you all the attributes that he has that's about him. I'm not going to be able to tell you all that. But I want to emphasize a few things. There's a place sometimes for us to talk about the torments of hell, the horrors of hell, the eternity of hell, and the reason for hell. There's a place for us to talk about those things, but I don't want to talk about that this morning. Probably most of us have sat at a campfire sometime and looked into that fiery, hot, burning inferno in there and said, I wonder what hell is going to be like for some people. I wonder how many of us have said, I don't want to go there. Probably most of us. There's a place. You, you, know, you know the story of, of the rich man there and Lazarus is how the rich man was there. And, and this poor man was at his gate every day and the dogs licked his sores and he just gave him some crumbs off his table. And it says the rich man died and went to hell. Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom. And it says the rich man, as he was there, he looked up at Abraham, Abraham's bosom, wherever that is. And he looked up and said, please, just send Lazarus to send just a couple drops of water just to cool my tongue. Just a couple drops. <clears throat> and of course, you know the story. Abraham said, no, I can't do that. There's a great gulf fixed and I can't go there. You, I, I just can't do that. Well, then he begged him to go and send, send somebody back from the dead to tell his brothers, don't come here, do something different. And he said, though, those, though someone raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe him. And that's hell. And to those of us, I just say this one more thing about hell. Hell is real. Hell will sometime be a place somebody will inhabit. And whether it's for eternity or even an only short little bit, which I think it's for eternity. But there's nobody wants to go there. And until I give my heart and my life and give my everything to Jesus Christ, that's where I'm going. And I don't say that from a threatening st uh, standpoint. I'm not throwing that out to you, whoever you may be, who's not born again and who's not given their heart to Jesus Christ. I'm not throwing that out to you as a, as a slam. I'm throwing that to you as a plea. <clears throat> There's a term that I've, we've used before. It's, the term is venerate. Venerate. And it's, it means, this is the, dic the dictionary definition. I got it out of the dictionary. It says, to regard with respect and reverence, to revere. We venerate parents and elders. We venerate men consecrated to sacred offices. We venerate old age or gray hairs. We venerate or ought to venerate, this is out of the dictionary, or ought to venerate Jesus Christ, the gospel and its precepts. Probably some of you have been to Washington, D.C. 
You know that's the capital of our country, and you know that that's where there's a lot of veneration done back there. You go to Mount Vernon, and you can see George Washington and all his, and read about him and, and follow him, and, and there's many things written about him, and, and he did a good work in the country here as far as in that kingdom. He was a man that had a lot of charisma, I suppose, I don't know, but it seemed like he must have, and he gave direction, and people followed, people listened, he was able to, uh, he was able to uh, lead men. You can see there at Washington, D.C., you can see this, the, uh, the statue there of Abraham Lincoln. In his, in his kingdom, I believe he's one of the greatest men that ever lived in his kingdom as far as the presidency of the United States. Whether it was or not, that could be debatable, but I have, I have followed or read after Abraham Lincoln a bit, and, and he was a very wise man. And you could read of others, you know, Orville and Wilbur Wright, the airplane people, you know, those, those men that figured out uh, how to fly an airplane. And you could read about Franklin Roosevelt and Henry Ford and many other people. <clears throat> they were good men, but not like Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I thank you, Brother Dale, for, for bringing out some aspects of church life. It's a good thing. I appreciate what you spoke much of the very model we use back at our church. It varies a little bit, but something very similar to that. We, we always try for consensus. We always try to have people who have the whole brotherhood saying, yes, that's what we want. We aren't always able to get that. Sometimes we revert back to a vote, a democratic vote. <clears throat> and, and you know, most of the time, and I just I'm, I know I've switched here a little bit, I just thought of this. Most of the time, the elders of the church don't even vote. Most of the time, the, the brotherhood makes a decision. We have expressed our heart and mind, but we don't vote. That, that happens sometimes. But it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good motto, I believe, to, to try to reach a consensus. Okay, back here to where I wanted to go in the first place. I want to talk about Jesus Christ. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to bring our minds into what really matters. Even if you want to talk about church consensus, Jesus Christ stands head and shoulders above that. He is the reason we want consensus. And, and we all know about Him. And we've all, we've all, probably many of us, maybe not all of us, have grown up with Him and known Him. And our parents talked about Him and we read about Him and we know about His birth and we know about His his life, we know about his death, we know about his resurrection, we know about his ascension, we know about the fact that he's returning again, most of us know that. But I just want to lift him up, if I could a little bit, and just put him a little higher in our eyes, just, ex- just express a few things. He's the greatest man who ever lived, bar none. He's the most venerable of men who ever lived. He's the most honorable of men who ever lived. He was the most dedicated of men who ever lived. He was the wisest of men that ever lived. And he was a man. That man affected more men down through all of history than any man ever did. I'm I'm trying trying to get a picture here. We've got George Washington. We've got Abraham Lincoln. We've got Henry Ford. We've got Orville and Wilbur Wright. And we have all kinds of other men. And this man, let's, let's put him in line here with all the other men. And we'll find that he shout, shines and he stands above all men for what he did. 
The scriptures talk about him, of course. In Psalms we read, uh, who, hath, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Jesus Christ. He is worthy of worship. Men, men can stand wherever they want to stand. And we are not, we are not allowed to. Kneel down and worship him. Get down on our knees and, and bow before him. That's not the right thing to do before other men. Before Jesus Christ, it is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. We all know that. In Psalms again, he says, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Again in Acts, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other name given among, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. No other name. In Psalms again, he says, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all, all flesh praise his holy name forever and ever. And it could go on and on and on. The songwriter said, My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of his name. That's our God. There's a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in mine ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my dear Redeemer's praise. This man came into the world with the purpose that was given him from God above. He didn't earn his right to be blessed. He was blessed. He didn't have to earn anything. He didn't do enough to mankind to deserve a place in history. He created history. He is history. It's his story. All these other men that I talked about did their deeds and many others and accomplished their works. But they're dependent on others to keep their name in front of us. Not so with him. He is constantly there. In fact, in Psalms, again, he says, even the rocks are an orchestra. The mountains shall skip like rams and the little hills like, like lambs. Mountains skip like rams and hills like rams. He turned the rock into standing water and the flint into fountains of waters. That's what Jesus did. <clears throat> no name has been written more nor sung more than his name. He will be reverenced by every single person in history. Every single person will reverence his name. None shall escape his judgment. He is the ever-living one. His name shall endure forever. There's no need of monuments to keep his name alive. There's no need of statues to keep his name alive. Nothing will ever mar his name to the extent that it becomes a nondescript and, and forgotten name. Nothing. He is living and cannot die. His name will not go away. His name... This man will be forever and indelibly stamped on the heart of man, even the hearts of sinful and condemned men, sometime. They will, it will be stamped there. And while the eons of time pile themselves up on one another in eternity, pile and time and time, and all, what if there's any time in eternity? While they do that, his name shall continue. 
<clears throat> Bibles have been burned by the thousands. Men have been burned at the stake for him. His name has endured the attack of great empires. You take a look back there. It doesn't take very long to read back there. Uh, soon after Christ, soon after Christ ascended and went away, took a hundred years or so, where they were trying to stamp out this Christianity. And they were doing all they could, and persecution was severe. And Hitler had the idea, I'm going to stamp this thing completely away. It's not possible. Not possible. His name will not fade. His name will not fail. His name will not flee. Like the song we sang this morning, he is the fountain filled with blood. He is that fountain. I, 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 I bring this to you because there's a need for us to keep his name alive in our hearts and to, and to hold him up high. And when we hold him up high, then we learn other things about him, about what, his, what he asks of us and what our responsibility is to him and what he's done for us. And it makes us fall down and worship him for what he's done. And it makes us say, I will live for Jesus. And that's all I will live for. I wanted to say this. Some of this that I'm going to say here is not all from me. Some of this I've got from somebody else. I don't know who. I just don't want to be, I just don't want to be accused of being a plagiarist or something like that. The Old Testament cries, Behold, He comes. The four Gospels cry, Behold, He dies. The, the acts follow with, Behold, He lives. The, the epistles join in with, Behold, He saves. The revelation completes with, with, behold, he reigns. He comes, he dies, he lives, he saves, he reigns. That's who he is. Hallelujah. Amen. His wisdom is our guide. His power, our defense. His sympathy, our consolation. His approval, our reward. His salvation, our highest hope. That's who Jesus is. He is the son who enlightens us. He is the physician who heals us. He's the wall of fire that defends us. He's the friend who comforts us. He's the pearl that enriches us. The ark who saves us. The rock who sustains us. He's the true deliverer. He's the prophet, priest, and king. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the servant and the Lord. He's the true scapegoat, the true brazen serpent. He is the mercy seat. He is our comfort and our joy. Jesus. Jesus Christ. His blood is my pardon, his righteousness my justification, his strength my support, his promises my cheer, his grace keeps me, his power presents me faultless, his promise is love and his burden is light. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I am weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he's my way. When I'm afraid, he's my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm sick, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I'm persecuted, he heals me. When I have lost, he provides for me. And when I face death, he carries me. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about death. Really think about it and think, sometime it's going to happen to me. Not quite a year ago. I watched my father die. We knew ahead of time he was very sick. We didn't know for sure what. Probably, the doctor said, it was probably some cancer of some sort. But he was 91 years old. 
And he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, it's probably cancer, but then we need to run some tests and find out what it is. And my father said, no. I'm ready to go. This was, I don't know how long before, and all the family began together then, and for almost a week, we sat there, and we watched him die. That kind of does something to you. And maybe even especially when it's your father. He had the opportunity. He was conscious enough. What happened was he was sitting there on the couch beside his mother. And he called all his children one by one to come to his bedside, come to the couch there. And he gave us all a blessing. Then he laid down on the couch. A couple hours later, a hospital bed came from hospice and we took the bed in and he, we moved him over to the hospital bed and he never, he never talked very much after that. As a family, we were not sorrowful in one sense because we had hope and knew that he did too in Jesus Christ. So I ask you, have you ever thought about death? You know, sometime, every single one of us is going to close our eyes, whether we're conscious of it or not. I don't know how it all works sometimes. So if you're a single one of us, and Brother Ron, you know what this is like. God bless you, brother. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to lose consciousness. At some point, we're going to be conscious, and at some point, we're not. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. It's going to happen, young lady. It's going to happen. And it doesn't have to be a fearful thing. My wife just said here in this meeting right here, after we sang a certain song, I forget which one it was, she said, I don't understand why everybody doesn't want to just die and go to heaven. Well, there's reasons for that. When you have a lot of pain in your body, it makes this life look a lot less enticing. <clears throat> this is Jesus we're talking about. I had some other things here. I'm going to move on. I'm gonna, it's going to sound like I'm switching subjects a little bit, but, but in the end, it's going to come together, I think. What is fair? What's fair? You know, we like to think of fairness. What's fair? Well, we determine fairness by two different standards, two different methods. There's two different ways to determine what is fair. The one way is the way man looks at it. What is right for one is right for another. What's wrong for one is wrong for another. 
If he did something that he deserved some punishment, then that's fair. If he didn't deserve punishment, it's fair not to give it to him. In, in one sense of the word, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's fair. If you come along and hurt my eye and, and I can't see other eye anymore, I suppose it's only fair that since you did that, I, you should have your eye punched out too. That's fair. <clears throat> or a tooth, whatever, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's fair. That's, fairness is consistent. The way we view fairness as man, it's consistent. We can count on if it's if it's uh, if if I tell you no, you can't do this, and somebody else comes along and says, "Can I do this?" and I say yes, that's not fair for the same thing. But I need to tell you no every every time anybody comes, no, 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 no. That's fair. But there's another way God looks at fair. And that way, I want to talk about that way just a little bit. Sometimes the way he sees fair, the way things happen in life, we can look at that and say, that's not fair. There are some people who are persecuted. They're today, they're persecuted. They're in prison for their their belief and faith in Jesus Christ. It's not like it is in America. Here we sit. We're all clean. We all have on nice clothes. And generally speaking, we're all comfortable. We even got air conditioning in this building. And we go home to homes that are luxurious. I, I don't say that condemningly. But we live, and I don't know the statistics or the, 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 um, the numbers, but we live in a country, I did have them here, I know that was in another message I talked about. There, We live in a country where, how was it, if, if you own your home, you're in the top 10% of the, of the world. If your home is paid for, you're in a less top percent of the world. We live in a, I mean, you talk about luxury. We have it. Those that are persecuted because they believe in Jesus Christ, they were, will, they were at, a, at the wrong place at the wrong time, Right? No, they were at the right place at the right time. But they, were, they are being persecuted. Now, tell me, why should they be persecuted? They're just as valuable to God as you are. And you sit here in your luxury. Is that fair? What's fair about a child, and we've all heard the stories, about a little, a little three or four-year-old, an innocent child, being molested or hurt or beaten in some way? What's fair about that? That, that's not right. Haiti had an earthquake this morning. A pretty major one. I don't remember what the Richter scale said. Not, I, I read that it was as bad as one before, but before it was not in as populated of an area. Maybe that was a judgment of God upon Haiti, I don't know. Maybe not. But 
But there's people over there. There's probably hundreds of people that have died because of that. Is that the judgment of God? Maybe. But it may not be. The derecho that went through here, however many months or years ago it was, did those people deserve something more than what you did? Did those people... Okay, I think you're getting my point. Fairness is relative. It's what God wants. And I I know I mentioned this to some of you when we had our our meetings back here a while ago, or last couple days, but he said, but I want to look at how God sees fair. And it was when John the Baptist was in prison. And there he was, he had spent his life, he had given everything he had to, to preach the way that, of this Messiah that was going to come, and he was going to come, and I'm telling you he's going to come, and I'm going to, and I'm going to stand on it till I die. He is my Savior. He is the one I'm looking to for my salvation. I don't know what John the Baptist said or not. I can imagine him saying things like that. Because this, this person that was coming after him, he said, he said, there cometh one after me whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. He, 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 he knew a little bit of the magnity or the, the, um, the uh, magnificence of Jesus, just of the beauty of him. He knew a little bit about that. And he said, so John the Baptist sent his disciples to him and he said, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, John the Baptist wants to know if you're the one we should look for or should we look for another? Here John the Baptist was sitting in prison. And Jesus answered him, he told his disciples, he said, you go tell them, you go tell John that the, I'm not going to, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he said, tell him this too. He said, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. What he was saying was, John the Baptist, John, it's not going to look fair to you. But blessed is he who trusts me, who waits on me. Shortly after that, John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded for a, uh, you know the story. Out of a man's, a man's foolish and, and I don't know how to say, how to describe it all. His, his lust, his, uh, his, um. Willingness to just please somebody else. He had a man killed. So we might go through hard things that are not fair. Some of you have gone through things that you feel like is not fair. I know, you told me. And I'm not saying that they were fair. They should have been that way. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is, don't lose sight of your trust in Jesus Christ. Irregardless what happens to you, He's there. You can go back to Him. Always go back to Him. I don't know if I ever heard that word actually back here when we was, we was listening. I don't know if I ever heard the word, it's not fair or not. I don't know if I did. I don't think I did, but I can easily imagine some of you thought that, and maybe it wasn't in man's eyes, maybe it was inconsistent, maybe it was, but my point is this, 
Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of kings. Rise up, young people of God. Rise up. And I'm not saying you're not. But I'm saying, irregardless of what life gives to you, there is a way for you to rise up and be victorious. You can be full of joy. Really? Really? It was, I had something happen to me that was so unfair. And I'm supposed to be joyful about that? I'm going to answer with a simple, simple word, a simple answer. Well, I'm going to say yes. Because you know where you can gain and grow the most? It's not up on the mountaintops where everything is just beautiful and it's like, ah. It's down in the valleys. That's where the fertile soil is. It's down in those places where you get disappointed. And you go to the Lord and say, Lord, this, this is how I'm feeling. And this is where I am. And this is how I was treated. But Lord, so were you. That's where you grow. That's where you grow. I have a lot of growing to do. But let me tell you a little story. One time, it was, when was your cancer? Three years ago or so? Five years ago. My wife, who found out she had cancer. It was during a Bible school there there in Africa. We had gone... She had this little lump, and she went to the doctor, and they did a, a biopsy of it, and we went to the doctor on Wednesday of Bible school and found out, yes, your wife has cancer. Cancer is a word that when it comes to life, it's a word of death. It's, it's opposite life. It speaks of death. There are ways people have overcome it, and it's gotten, they've gotten over it, and all those kind of things. But generally speaking, what I say, a doctor tells me I have cancer, my first thought is, how long will I live? Did I, did I tell you this Wednesday night? I think I did, didn't I? Okay, maybe I didn't. <clears throat> anyway, I, I think I did tell you this, though. <sighs> We found out through that time of not knowing how bad it was, not knowing how far it had spread, not knowing anything about it. We asked some questions questions to the Lord, I'll admit that. But we also found a rest and a peace. And we're not so special. You all can find it too. If ever you have a problem, you can find it. You can find rest and peace. You can. It's there. It's there. I didn't say it'd be easy. I'm looking into some places I know it's hard. It's real hard.
and it doesn't make sense. And nothing seems to change. And it just keeps on going. And I just can't get over this. It just keeps coming back. You may not realize it. And if you're down there in those valleys right now, it's down there where the fertile soil is. If you'll look up at Jesus Christ and you'll trust Him and you'll give your heart to Him and you'll say, Yes, Lord. There's a way out. There's a way that when you look back someday and you're climbing up that mountain, you look back down in those valleys, you'll see fruit that has grown out of that valley. And it'll be sweet fruit. coming to the end but I have one more thing I want to say and I've kind of said this long but I want to say it again you've all sat back there in that little corner back there those of you who I'm not sure who was who's here that wasn't there but I see a couple of you and we asked you some questions and you gave your answers and you shared your heart I believe you shared your heart sincerely. I don't believe that you made things sound worse than they were just to make a point. I don't believe that there was any of this hypocrisy of making it look worse or different than it was. I don't believe that. I believe you shared your heart honestly. We ask you for that. You spoke of your hurts, your disappointments. You spoke of your desires and your dreams. You spoke of your commitment. From the oldest to the youngest. From the leaders to the newest converted soul. You spoke. We listened. We tried to listen. We tried to hear everything you said. We made lots of notes. Brother Dale said this. And I'm going to say the same thing a little different way. He said he wondered what his congregation would say if they all came through a little time like that to somebody else and expressed their hearts. This was my thoughts. My thoughts were, have I done that to anybody in my church? How can I do better than this? I'd like to say I was convicted it's a term we use, and I, I, it's a, probably a proper term, but I'm a little hesitant to say, when I, when I say I'm convicted, that means to me, that says, I have a need, and I'm going to do all I can to change that. It's something that must be, it's something I'm, I believe with all my heart. I'm convicted. And if it means I must change, then I must change. If it means I must continue what I'm doing, it means I, then, then I continue I don't know if I could say I was convicted, but I would say I was very much made aware of my own needs. I'm believing that you spoke 
truly. You spoke very, very respectfully. That's the way we understood it. Now, maybe it was all put on. Maybe you did that just because you was talking to Brother Mark and Brother Dale. I don't think so. I think that was your heart. You know, there's a saying, and I used it there Wednesday night, I know I talked about the ostrich with his head in the sand. You know, that's just a saying. That's not even true. Ostriches don't put their heads in the sand. They, they use their beaks and dig down into the sand to turn their eggs when they're laying there and cover them back up. They do that. And it's been conjectured that they, the, the ostrich is a big bird with a big body and a real little tiny head. And whenever it's in danger, it puts its head down on the ground to try to be less noticeable. I don't think I have my head in the sand. As you have, you have spoken. I'm, I'm glad you have. I think you have shared your heart. And I think that I'm not saying that quite right. <clears throat> you have spoken, you've shared your heart. But I am not disheartened. And I don't think you should be either. I don't. And maybe I have my head in the sand, but I don't think I do. <clears throat> I don't know how much farther I should go here. But I just want you to know that as you've shared your hearts, I still believe. There's hope, and it's not just a thread of hope. I think it's a clear hope. <clears throat> no, I haven't been through all the things you have. I haven't experienced the things you have. And I, and I know what it feels like. It can feel, you try to explain it to somebody, and you think they maybe understand, but it doesn't, they don't have the feelings you do. So I, I admit I don't have those. But I want to say this. I want to read you a poem, then I'm going to be done. And it's a poem that's based on, it's not a spiritual poem, but it's based on spiritual, scriptural principles. And what it's based on is, he that is faithful to the end shall be saved. It's based on, he that endure to the end shall be saved. Both those essence, those principles are in the scriptures. So, brethren, sisters... Children, youth, young people. We're going to make it. Amen? I want to read you a story. And probably some of you heard this story. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. I'm going to repeat that. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race, a children's race. Young boys, young men, how I remember well, 
Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope. Each thought to win that race. Or tie for first. Or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side. Each cheering for his son. And each boy hoped to show his folks how he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, 